If you're looking for proven ways to take your fundraising results to the next level, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast, hosted by Tammy Zonker. Tammy has trained and led thousands of nonprofit organizations to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars and is also recognized as one of America's top 20 fundraising experts. This is the podcast where Tammy equips and empowers amazing fundraising pros like you to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now, let's hear from Tammy. We'll start the show in just a moment after a word from our sponsor. Support for this show is brought to you by our friends at Bloomerang. Bloomerang offers donor management and online fundraising software that helps small to medium nonprofits, just like First Tee of Greater Akron, a nonprofit that empowers kids and teens through the game of golf. After just one year with Bloomerang, First Tee of Greater Akron doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds. Keep listening to hear how they did it or visit bloomerang.com forward slash intentional to learn more. Again, that's bloomerang.com forward slash intentional. Today, I'm excited to talk with Nellie Chaboy, founder of TechLit Africa. If her name sounds familiar, it may be because she was recently named CNN Hero of the Year. Nellie is an ambitious tech leader who wants to bring more Kenyans into the digital economy and develop effective, scalable solutions to poverty. During her senior year of college, she started a school in Kenya to do just that. And now, Her nonprofit, TechLit Africa, reaches and teaches 4,000 students age 5 to 14 basic computer skills. Nellie wants to rewrite what it means to grow up in rural Africa. Nellie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a delight. I know how insanely busy you are. Let's jump in. And if I may, I'd just love to hear from you about what it was like growing up in Kenya and how did that shape who you are today. I grew up in Mogotio, which is a yeah. small village four hours north of Nairobi. And life was pretty hard growing up in Mogotio. I even struggled with basic needs. Like I often went to bed hungry. I went to school barefoot and even struggled studying. I grew up in a shack, so in a tin roof house full of holes and we didn't have electricity. My mom could not afford kerosene often, so I would go and study in verandas storefronts, right, where they have electricity, light, I'll study there until late at night. And so I really wanted to have a childhood. I really wanted to play with other kids. But you find most of the times I was probably herding cows, like I'm herding cows or helping my mom at her business. So she used to have a vegetable stand by the roadside. So selling vegetables, selling like, you know, big goods. And, and so I was always like, if I'm not in school, I'm working. And I really wanted to just play with other kids. And so, so every time I'm herding cows, I'll be reading under a tree and just thinking about what life was like out there for other kids. I just kept wondering. So I became more worldly. Like I consumed a lot of books, looked at pictures in textbooks. I didn't have a computer or the internet. So for me, my only window to the world were these textbooks. And so any textbook I found, even if I'm in that grade, and the book is sixth grade or an eighth grade book, I'll just consume it and read it. 
And after a while, I started thinking about just what it looks like to, you know, to fix poverty, what it looks like to actually have a childhood. And I knew that I couldn't have a childhood myself, but I kept thinking like, I'd like to change that. I'd like to change that for kids growing up in communities like mine. I was in my head a lot, just thinking, just constantly thinking because I'm alone, like I'm herding cows or I'm standing in verandas or I'm laying on the floor of a shack. And so I was just constantly just thinking and almost like envisioning all these different things. I'll think about building a big kitchen so I can feed everyone. I'll think about building a very big estate so everyone can have a home. And I think in that, it became more like, okay, what can I do to achieve those goals? And it looked like studying hard in school. I was like, okay, if I study hard in school, if I do so well, maybe I'll travel, maybe I'll get a scholarship, then maybe I'll have more leverage to take care of this. And that's why I really read so much. And I did really well out of my primary school. I was one of the top girls, graduating out of K-8. And then I went to a national school. So in, in Kenya, school is split between 8th grade and 12th grade. Right? So high school, you go, you travel. Like I was in high school four hours away, constantly sent home for tuition. But every time I come home, I'm constantly sent home. And every time I'm on the bus home, I'll be also catching up on my studies. And I also did very well out of that. I got... I was one of the top girls out of the high school. And then from that, got a scholarship to come to America. And so when I came to America, then I saw that not every life is like, I saw just the abundance here that, oh, kids in America actually have it way better. They actually have way more. And I started thinking about bringing what I saw in the suburbs of Chicago, like bringing that to Mogotu. And that's what inspired me to build this school. Pretty amazing from a little girl herding cows, but having these big visions and these big dreams, not just for your life, but the lives of other people. I mean, that's what I hear when I hear you say, I dreamed of building a big kitchen so <laughs> I could cook for everyone. It's really beautiful, especially coming from just a little girl. I wonder where that inspiration and those visions come from. And I know that your mother has been a real source of inspiration and motivation in your life. Yeah, she yeah. had that vegetable stand and that baked goods stand. She was always so tenacious, yeah. you know, as I've heard you speak. Yeah. And you call her a phenomenal woman. <laughs> yeah. Tell us I, about your mom. Yeah. I Actually, growing up, I used to think my mom was the most educated person. <laughs> so as I'm doing my homework or I have some questions, she'll have the answers. And turns out she was like remembering it from memory. Like if I'm talking about Kenyan independence, she was probably a young girl then and she remember from memory. So I used to think that she's very educated. I learned recently, like in 2016, like much, much later that she really wasn't. Like she only made it to secret. I did not know, which made me even respect her more. And we used to have this tradition where sometimes when we have kerosene and I don't have to go study in the verandas, I'm studying at home and I'm using these kerosene lamps to study. So the bedroom is separate and you have this curtain separating the bedroom from the living room. And sure. so I'll be studying in the living room and then she'll be behind the curtain sleeping. And she used to tell me a lot of stories. There's one specific story that I really like. It was about a guy who was on, on a wheelchair and they were doing really well in the community at the moment. Like her daughters were in high school, they were becoming well known. And so to us, they were kind of like, they were well, right? And then she would tell me stories about how they really struggled, how he really struggled because he was in a wheelchair, his family was really poor, and then the wife's family was also really poor. 
every time I have kerosene and I can study at home, I'll just ask her about that story and she'll tell it to me and I'll just cry. Like I'm just like, tears are dripping to the books that I'm studying, but I just like, almost like holding my tears, but they are rolling down. And I think the reason I love that stories and stories like that is that it kind of gave me the idea that, hey, like, you know, poverty is an expiration date. Like, even if your life is hard right now, even though their life was really hard, to me, when I heard those stories, I felt like, oh, their life was really hard. I think we had this kind of relationship where even though she did not try to shield me from the poverty or from the challenges that she was experiencing, like if she's coming home very late at night, sometimes at 11, I see how exhausted she is and I'm singing her the song, I'm comforting her. So we had this really, this bond, right? And so it was just full of inspiration. And for me, I really respected her. She was my world, you know, because she had all the answers. I don't know if she was making up the answers, but like if I had a question, <laughs> she would find the answers and she was telling me these stories. And I think that gave me so much empathy. I think from her yeah. stories and from her just really telling me the way it is, telling me how life it is. And then also it really made me want to think about sustainable solutions towards poverty because I realized that hard work was not it. Because if you had working was it, then my mom would be the, you know, very rich because she was working really hard and women like her were working really hard. So it made me start thinking about, okay, how can you actually sustainably fix poverty? Because you can show up every day, grind and have the grit. But if the systems are not working in your favor, then you just stay the same. There's one time I was in that grade and there was drought in Northern Kenya and they had a picture of a young boy who was really malnourished on the cover of the newspaper. And, and I was so shocked by that. I went to her and I asked her, hey, is everything on the newspaper true? And she said, yes, she had no idea what I was asking. And then I kept telling myself, why? Like, if this is covered in the newspaper, why is no one doing anything about it? I think those instances started giving me ideas like, hey, there are problems out there and someone needs to do something about it. And if you expect other people to do something about it, then you might as well do something about it, you know? That's really powerful. And again, just such a young girl. You mentioned that you attended college in Rock Island, Illinois, a few hours outside of Chicago, and you graduated with your bachelor's degree in applied mathematics and computer science. Yeah. Now, it would have been really easy and understandable for you just to pursue a high-paying tech career here in the U.S. after graduation and to live the American dream. <laughs> But instead, you chose to focus your attention on building schools in Kenya. And that was actually before you even graduated. Yeah. So bringing more Kenyans into the digital economy, and again, with that vision of developing effective, scalable solutions to poverty, right? That empathy that you developed at such a young age. Tell us about that decision and how TechLit Africa was started. Yeah. So when I got to America, immediately, my family was still living in a shack. My mom was really sick and she was losing so much money. Like she wasn't even making any money being by the roadside selling those vegetables because business was not good. But she had like, what else could she have done? She had to keep trying, showing up every day. So I had responsibilities. I was a college student. I could earn money through a work-study program, working 20 hours a week because I was an international student and I could only work 20 hours a week. 
And so in one year, I was able to fly back home, move my family into a nice apartment with a roof that doesn't leak, with electricity. I even bought furniture, I bought everything. And for the first time, we were actually hosting people. There was decency now. Like people are coming to a house. We were not embarrassed. At our previous home, I was not able to bring anyone there. We don't even have pictures of that place. And so to be able to host people at our home was just like it gave us so much decency. Even when I got here, I kind of had all these responsibilities and like the urge to do something about our situation back home. So after my family had moved out of poverty and now they're living in a nice house, I started thinking about building a school. I'm a junior in college and I wanted to build a school because that idea that I wanted to bring everything that I saw here, I wanted to bring it over there. I wanted to have a really fancy school with ballet, tennis, music studio, dance studio, all those things. So I was already thinking about, and what really helped me was the risk profile. I build a school, it doesn't work out. I graduate, I get a degree anyway. I think my success was that I started really early and I, I've always become really good at weighing the pro and the cons. And then if the cons are not that bad, then it's okay. So building a school in college may seem very brave, but I actually think it's really easy. Because you're a student and then what? You graduate, you get a degree, you go get a job. So it's okay. And so I built a school even before I discovered computer science. And so when the school was starting is when I realized, wait, there's actually computer science. There's actually, there's a whole tech world. And when I discovered computer science, it actually, be, everything fell into place. Because when I thought about poverty and all the systemic issues, poverty felt so insurmountable. I'll give you an example. Schools in Kenya are very expensive. So you'll find like someone like my mom who was making a dollar a day needed to raise like $200 a month to educate me, right? Like For she, one child. Yeah. Where's she yeah. going to get enough money, right? And then if my mom wanted to build her business to be middle-sized where she can employ people and actually create employment and she goes to the bank, she's looking at that 10% interest rate. It's really hard as an entrepreneur to even grow your business. And so then if you look at a place like America, like property taxes pays for schools and therefore is virtually free. But in Kenya, if we were to do property taxes or tax collection, like people don't have jobs that you can collect taxes from because the loans are expensive and we can't create jobs, we don't have enough taxes to fund our schools. And then it's a cycle of poverty where everyone is a small business owner, just one person, just hustling. And that is just what it is. And that for me, it was like, how do you even fix that? Right. And so when yeah. I discovered technology, I realized, wait, I could actually build a digital infrastructure so that all you need to do is just be able to work online, work remotely for any company in the world. It's already an existing ecosystem. And it seemed so easy that immediately I dropped my major. I switched to computer science and I got a computer science degree in one year. And I started thinking about ways I can start teaching kids. And so I think that later on became Techland Africa. But I, again, the question was always, I was a software engineer in the tech industry and I wanted to go to Kenya and figure out how I can build Techland Africa. And the question was like, wait, so if I need a job, I'm a software engineer, I cannot get another job. So again, just looking at the risk profile, thinking about the worst case scenario, leaving my job may seem like a very brave thing, but I can go get another job if I need to. Right. Building a school in college may seem crazy, but wait, if it doesn't work out, I just get a degree. So that's why most of the time I normally think about these things. It's like, I'm not afraid of failure. 
I'm not afraid of, about what people think of like what I'm doing. And so I just have this drive and I just try it. I think because I was in my head a lot and I just cheer myself on and I just keep powering on. That's so good. You know, sometimes people feel like they just begin to be, have so much self-doubt. And I don't feel that from you, Nelly. No. <laughs> oh, no, great. I, just, I think because I've had, I've had to be my own cheerleader for so long. Because yeah. growing up in situations like mine, because I think the hardest thing about poverty that no one really talks about is how bleak it is. Just the, the hopelessness, just how dark it is. It's really hard. It's really hard to keep showing up every day and working really hard when you don't see end in sight, right? Because yeah. like the women, like my mom, who are on vegetable stands and they're there every single day for decades, I have no idea how they do it because that's just takes a lot of grit to show up and things are staying the same. You mentioned that schools are very costly in Kenya yeah. for upper school, eighth grade through 12th yeah. grade. And especially for girls, there are even more obstacles from, that keep them from graduating high school, like mm-hmm. child marriage, menstruation, yeah. trafficking, household chores, and gender-based violence. In fact, according to a study that I read, nearly half of all Kenyan girls drop out of school before graduation. Yet you've not only helped them graduate, but you've also been recognized for your efforts in introducing Kenyan girls to STEM, which even here in the U.S. is a challenge, right? It's something we have to be really, with all of the abundance and all the tools and all the resources, having girls embrace science, technology, engineering, and mathematics is no small feat. So, Nellie, how do you navigate these challenges to really equip and empower girls to achieve academic success. And then what's next for them after they graduate? Yeah. What are you envisioning? I think one of the interesting things teaching tech to our students is that there's no bias, actually, because like for both boys and girls, it's their first experience with computers. There's no stereotypes. So I think that kind of really helps us. And I think just by design, we haven't had as much challenges because we go into existing schools. We go into these remote schools and we incorporate that as part of their curriculum. Actually, when we started, because I had that one school, my school, I used to have a computer lab where someone, like the kids are coming in during the weekends and in the evenings or during school breaks and they get to learn. And it seemed like a very effective way because you have only one resource and let the kids come, right? But then we quickly noticed that those who were coming were boys because girls were helping with chores. And actually realized that if definitely Africa existed when I was growing up, like the way we were doing it back then, I wouldn't have been able to attend because I was hiding cows. We met them where they were, right? If you go to schools, girls are there, boys are there in schools. And then it's also incorporated as part of their schooling. They're learning math, you know, like they have a math class and then they go to the computer lab and they learn digital skills and then they go and continue with their lessons. And so with this, it becomes just as part and parcel of their curriculum and their schooling as math is or as English is. And that has given us a lot of room to scale because all we need to do is partner with existing schools. The kids are already there. The system is already there. It's just a matter of adding tech at the timetable and then we can easily grow. Right. And so right now we are in 15 schools and we want to go to 100 schools. We just go to new schools and we 
इको पर्यटकोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोलोल
And so being able to grow salary will be really huge. The award really helped us. It gave us a lot of mileage in Kenya, mostly because it's really hard for someone to understand when we talk about working remotely for companies. And it really is hard for someone to understand what we mean because there's no mental model of remote work or so they keep thinking, are you working for the internet? And so I used to spend most of my time talking to schools and telling them about our programs and how we work. And most of them, they just did not understand. And therefore it was very hard for them to work with us. Another complication is that we charge the schools actually. When we go into a new school, we ask the parents or the schools to contribute the operation costs. And that really ensures that once we are in a school, it can run for forever and going back to sustainability. So instead of fundraising for the same schools over and over again, we actually, once we onboard with school, the school is funded locally, the school is good, right? And that really enables us to scale rather quickly. But it's quite a challenge to call a head teacher and be like, hey, so I have this program, it's gonna cost you this much. They'll be like, hey, are you a scammer? And so it has, I think that's yeah. really helped our Are you a scammer? Yeah, right. That's really helped our, that, that's the biggest win we have gotten in that at least they know us, know our name. And so- You're legitimate. Are, yeah. So it's easier now. It's easier for them now to converse with us, even though they may not understand what you're talking about in terms of like being able to work because there's no mental model. It's really hard to map that. At least now they're willing to listen and partner with us. And so that is, has been the biggest win actually, just being able to- work with these communities and get them to partner with us. Tell us a little bit about how you became a CNN Hero of the Year, the process. And I watched the awards ceremony on television with Naomi Campbell introduced to <laughs> And she's wiping tears. She's so inspired by you. And then at the end, when you have all 10 CNN heroes on the stage and the st- CNN Hero of the Year is announced, Nelly Chaboy. <laughs> and your expression and your outward shriek, right? <laughs> and how lovely that you brought your mother on stage and honored her in that way. It was so beautiful. So tell us what was the process and really, Nelly, what does it mean to you? So I can start with the, the second question, which is easier. So I think being able to share that moment with my mom was really wonderful. And I used to sing her that song all the time. And it's funny because she was thinking, oh, you're so cute. I really wanted to show her the world. And I really wanted, for me and for so women, like you find that that's all, like they they become teenage moms and then they have, like a vegetable stand by the roadside, they work for decades, they provide for their communities, their kids, their grandkids, their parents, and they just die in poverty. There's this thing in Kenya where once you become a mom, like nobody really calls you by your name. You just like Mama Nelly, for example, right? And so it's almost like you're stripped out of your identity and you're working really hard to provide for the whole community. When I learned that I was going to become a top 10 CNN hero and I was going to be in New York, I was really thinking so hard how I can use that platform to recognize those women, those women that were on the roadside, they're showing up every day, working really hard, and nobody knows their name. Like nobody, I grew up my whole life, wanted to show my mom the world. I kept thinking of ways I can do that. And so it was really interesting that at that moment when 
I was announced the CNN hit of the year and all the cameras were on me and it was just full of emotion on live TV. It was so instinctive that, hey, come share this moment with your mom. It was like, it just really shows just how much of a dream this was, just how much I've internalized that promise, how much I've, I was always looking for opportunities. And so the song that I used to sing to her used to go like this. So this song, you most Kenyan kids, it's one of the nursery rhymes you learn in first grade, second grade. And it's just saying that my hands are so tiny, I cannot help you. But when I grow up, I'm going to show you the world or uh, you're going to catch a break or something along those lines. I straight up stayed home, came to sing to my mom and I just kept singing. I kept singing all the time. Every time I learned anything that involved my mom, there was another poem that I learned, which is like, God gave me a gift, which is more than a lift, a loving mother. And like, you just like, you're taught these things that just like a poem you see in a book yes. or a song. I'll come home and I'll recite it to her because I saw how much comfort it gave her. And also it was almost a way of me of showing her just how much I love and she inspires me and how much I really see her. I see her for who she is, not as my mom, but as Christina Cheboy, her mom of four daughters, working really hard to educate her daughters. And so I think that night really meant a lot because it was in such a miraculous way. I have a way of willing everything to existence, but I would not have willed that. I didn't want that one was way beyond me. Like, there's no way I would have. Like, other things actually don't surprise me. Building a school, yeah, I can do that. Running Techland Africa and like going to a hundred school, going to a thousand school. I have so much belief in my, just my sheer power of willing stuff into existence that it doesn't even, like, my dreams never scare me, right? But that one, that one, no way. Like, and I, <laughs> I can't just call CNN and be like, hey, let's organize this event and get my mom to come on stage. <laughs> and so that one was just so, it was so miraculous. It was like such a long childhood dream that came true. So when I think about that moment, I just scream because it was so miraculous in a way that even in my wildest dreams, I could not have envisioned that. Really beautiful. And then for the process, I mean, I actually was not aware of CNN Heroes until like I got a call from them. And so it sounds like it's an open nomination. And if you're listening to this and you want to try it, completely open, cnnheroes.com. You can just go and nominate someone or you can find someone to nominate you. And then they just go, you go through the process. They come to the ground, they do a video. And when I found out I was like being considered for CNN Heroes, I was just really happy about getting a video because... Like most people say like, hey, you need to have a video to talk about your work so people can understand your work. You'll find that people here in America can donate a video, but they're not able to come to Kenya and record the stuff on the ground, right? And so therefore, they're not capturing as much. And then because we're in rural Kenya, it's really hard to get someone there to do a video. So I kept trying to like make my own video documentary to describe our work. And I just couldn't do it. I just never got around to it. And so when I learned that, hey, a video from them was just so cool. Everything else was just a bonus, like being on the top 10. And, and... That's awesome. Well, I want you to know, I went out and voted for you every day. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh, it's just so inspiring. As we wrap up, Nellie, what would you say to a young person out there with a big, crazy dream? of changing the world? I think that you have so much resource 
just within you. Like you have so much power that you don't realize it. And so the question you always have to ask yourself is why do you want to do it? When you care so much deeply about what you want to do or why you want to solve a particular problem, it's really easy to find solutions and resources. And then it's also very easy not to get too attached to the, the solution. Just keep experimenting. The problem nowadays is that it's easy to look at someone like me right now. Like you look at Nelly in 2023. I'm not the same Nelly from 2016 when I was struggling to build a school or from 2018 when I was struggling to even get someone to donate for a first shipment to Kenya. And so most people, they'll look at where I am right now and they'll compare to the, like their first version. And so, so ideally you're supposed to look at people and you're supposed to use them as inspiration, but don't compare them to yourself, right? Because we all have very strong abilities. We have things that drives us. So just ask yourself why. Just think about how you can start. Just start. Just do things. You don't have to have all of it figured out. You don't have to have a million dollars in funding. You don't have to have a lot of influence. Just start and keep inviting people into joining, sharing your work. And it's very easy nowadays to share your work with social media. So just keep sharing. I love that. That's great advice. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention that you have a co-founder, Tyler <laughs> Cinnamon, right? Yeah. Who has been with you every step of the way from yeah. really from the beginning, at least in the college, right? We met in 2016. So we met at my first job and we were dating for two years before actually starting Technic together. Yes. You may be the forward face, but there is a real <laughs> power couple behind Technic. Lit in yeah. Africa. Yeah. Nellie, at the end of each episode, I like to ask just a few rapid fire, insightful questions to provide just a little extra value for our listeners. Are you ready? Yes, yes. Okay. First question What's the best fundraising advice you've ever received? Fundraising is about relationship building and not transaction. So don't try to raise money from People that you're working with, the people that you are benefiting from your work, don't try to put them in a, in a light that it's very demeaning as a way to extract pity from the donor and therefore raising money. Actually, how do you empower these folks and inviting people to invest in them? I love that. Number two, what book do you recommend to our audience and why? Mm -hmm. I think the best book I can recommend is actually The Mom Test. It's a very simple book. It's about when you're building a product. And when you're asking for support, it's very easy to try and speak about your solution and try to get people to, but actually, how do you, for example, with fundraising, how do you find out if someone actually cares about what you're working with and they like to support you as opposed to saying like, hey, we are doing things and this and this and making them feel guilty for saying no. It's a very simple book. It's like, it's more it. like for building product and getting, not feedback, but so you're trying to find your users, right? It's very easy to pitch a solution and try to get something. Hey, so I'm building this idea. Like if, if you're telling your mom about anything, hey, mom, I'm building a product that helps dog walkers to do this. Your mom would be like, that's really great. I believe in you, right? Like your mom is always your cheerleader. Yes. So, so it's almost like, how, how do you get your mom to understand the product? We'll include a link to it in the show notes. Yeah. And yeah. Have yeah. people check it out. It's yeah. very interesting. What do you think are the three most important traits of a successful fundraiser or nonprofit leader? What three traits must they possess? I think you really have to understand the people that you're working with. I don't like the word beneficiaries, but I think the word beneficiaries here makes a lot of sense. I think you really have to understand them. 
you almost have to have a lot of empathy because for me, every time before I post anything, before I share any story, I keep thinking for this kid or for this person I'm sharing their story, if they see that story, will they be proud of it? Will they feel like they have actually been represented? I think most of the times we think a lot about the donors and ways to get the donors. So really, you really want to think about the people that you're working with, the ones that are benefiting from work and realizing that how, what are ways that they, if they see that they don't feel like beneficial, they don't feel like a charity case, they actually feel celebrated. And that's how we approach most of our social media. And like most of the things are always written from a way where we, we empower our kids as opposed to trying to make this for the donors. It's actually trying to empower the kids. And along the ways you find that you find more people who actually feel like, hey, I want to hang out with these kids. I want to meet Bowen. Oh, I know Bowen, right? It's almost like they're investing now. It's like a community as opposed to a transaction where you're soliciting PT, but the kids or the people you're working with, actually, they don't feel seen. So really having empathy people that you're working with goes a really long way. As Dr. Maya Angelou said, when we know better, we do better. Yeah. And we know now that in the context of ethical, empowering storytelling, we have to honor the journey of the people who participate in our programs. And I can tell you and encourage any of our listeners, go out to social media and type in Tech Lit Africa. In fact, we're going to include links to all the social handles and the website and the giving page in the show notes. And I want you to see how Nellie and Tyler tell the stories. I see Nellie walking toward the school and I see 50 children running toward her with their arms wide open, smiling from ear to ear. It's like their mama Nellie has arrived. Yeah. <laughs> the love is so apparent and, yeah. and they're thriving. They're thriving. Yeah. And you, you see those kids and you want to hang out with them as opposed to like, oh, I feel so sorry for these kids. Here's the $50. I think as, as nonprofit yes. leaders, we spend so much time acquiring fast donors, but it's very hard to retain them. But I found that most people who end up giving a large gift, they actually started with a very small gift. And they just like, because they kept seeing our work, we kept keeping up to date with them and we just kept building relationships. They are just more and more, they're increasing their gift. Getting donors is really hard. So I feel like building relationships with the ones that you have right now actually kind of helps because they become the cheerleaders. Yes, absolutely. And they begin amplifying. There was this guy that I donated to a GoFundMe a while back in 2019 and, and has been a supporter of us since then. So just kept keeping in touch. And recently they had a company retreat. And so the company was featuring TechLit and he was getting all the praises for TechLit. So you can imagine how he felt, right? Because he feel like, oh, I've been with this organization from the beginning and now I'm being celebrated for like championing the organization. They have so much ownership. You know, it's like, oh, I've known them from the very beginning. I've been supporting them. And so the company is, they were featuring TechLit. They mentioned that, oh, and this is the guy who introduced us to TechLit. And now all the press about TechLit was going to the guy. I, I think now we have a long-time donor, right? A real and, partner. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Ah, so good. All right. Last question. Knowing what you know about fundraising and nonprofit leadership now, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give your younger self just starting in this profession? It takes time. It takes so much time. <laughs> it does. Like, there's no silver bullet. It really just means 
like going out there, building relationship, understanding your community. And it just takes such a long time. Like I remember when I was studying and I was looking at Charity Water and I kept thinking, wow, they're so talented. I don't have the talents that they have. But now I realize, well, they were like 16 years in and I was just one year in. It takes so much time. It's really about learning, relearning and doing old habits. And just like, you just have to keep going. That's all there is to it. You start without knowing anything and you just keep showing up and you keep going. And if you know, if you know you are why, you're going to find those answers or you're going to find people who are going to help you find those answers. It's almost like you're describing how you described your mother. Yeah. <laughs> Always showing up, never giving up, consistency, knowing her why. You know, the saying, apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Yeah, totally. Yes. So yeah. lovely. Oh, Nellie, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This was fun. It was fun. If you want to learn more about Nellie, Tech Lit, CNN Heroes, or follow her on social media, we've included links to her handles in the show notes as well as links to the other resources that we've talked about today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast. Keep on transforming your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now for a final word from our sponsor. Thank you to our friends at Bloomerang for supporting this episode. If you'd like to learn more about how Bloomerang can help your nonprofit acquire, retain, and engage donors, or learn how First Tea of Greater Akron doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds in the first year with Bloomerang, head over to bloomerang.com forward slash intentional or click the link in the show notes. The Intentional Fundraiser Podcast is a Fundraising Transformed original. It's hosted by me, Tammy Zonker, founder and president of Fundraising Transformed, where we help equip and empower fundraisers, nonprofit leaders, and board members to transform their fundraising so they can transform the world. Visit fundraisingtransform.com slash podcast to subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to my newsletter to get fundraising lessons, tools, and helpful resources delivered straight to your inbox each month. If you want my help with taking your fundraising to the next level, become a member of my Fundraising Transformers community as a growth member and join me live each month where I'll teach you the same strategies I use to lead, train, and coach thousands of nonprofits, social service organizations, healthcare foundations, private schools, colleges, and universities to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars including a single gift of $27.1 As a member, you can participate in my Ask Me Anything sessions every month and get answers to your burning questions. Chat with other growth members inside our private and safe online community about what you're working on, struggling with, and share lessons learned. And get instant access to my growing library of on-demand self-paced training classes. New content is added every single month. Learn more about becoming a member at fundraisingtransform.com slash growth. Talk soon.